Come with us on a virtual travel adventure all the way on the other side of the globe where we find out about how forest schooling is done in Spain with my special guest and fellow homeschooling mother, Vicky Matin. Welcome to Raising Wildlings, a podcast about parenting, alternative education and stepping into the wilderness, however that looks, with your family. Each week, we'll be interviewing experts that truly inspire us to answer your parenting and education questions. We'll also be sharing stories from some incredible families that took the leap and are taking the road less travelled. We're your hosts, Vicky and Nikki from Wildlings Forest School. Pop in your headphones, settle in and join us on this next adventure. Hello and welcome to the Raising Wildlings podcast. I'm your host, Vicky Oliver. Now, before I start, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land, the Gubby Gubby and the Cubby Cubby people of the land on which this podcast is recorded. A couple of weeks ago, I spoke to a fellow forest school leader in the UK. And whilst we are over all the way over in Europe, um, we're also going to chat to another fellow forest schooling mother and homeschooling mother, Vicky Mathieu, who started her own forest school in the northeast of Spain. Now, she offers parenting support for families and she specializes in child development and education and emotional intelligence and also offers a wide range of amazing training opportunities for educators who are interested in forest schooling in Spain. And like Nikki and myself, she is a fellow unschooling mother to her two children, which are the same ages as ours, nine and seven. It sounds like she lives in the most amazing part of the world in a little farmhouse just outside the National Park. And I can't wait for you to hear all about her programs and the way that she describes nature as being something that we find within ourselves as well. So let's get chatting to Vicky. Vicky, welcome to the podcast today. How are you all the way from Spain today? Hello, thank you for inviting me. Oh, you're most welcome. The first question I sort of wanted to get into is you're a homeschooling parent of two young children and you're also a forest school leader. So which for you came first? Did Was homeschooling something that you jumped into first or were you into forest schooling before you decided to homeschool your children? Well, I suppose it came a bit um, together because I, when my children were babies, I started going out to the forest with other families. I used to, before having children, I already used to do family groups. So when I had my own, I started going to the forest. I don't know, it was an instinctive thing to not meet up in a room. I don't know why. I suppose I thought it was the best place for my children to, to interact with others and as well with environments. So I started like this in a family group the person that like lead the session and we started in the forest and when they became three uh, which is the age in Spain that uh, most people enroll them in school which is not compulsory at three it's compulsory at eight right. um I thought what at school three now they're just still very messy and muddy and <laughs> so I just carried on <laughs> so it came kind of together I just don't know the best place to carry on it's the forest. I can't, I can't take them into a room uh, six hours a day playing with not natural things. For which, which reason would I couldn't find any reason supporting that decision? 
Yeah, I think that sounds very similar to our journey, Nikki, my journey as well. Um, is it is homeschooling like a popular option for families in Spain? Do you have a large community or is it still quite small? Well, before all the pandemic, yes, because things have changed since mm. then. Yeah. Before all that's going on uh, in the current times, it wasn't a decision that a lot of people took. It's not a, a decision that, that a lot of people will take, but mm. mainly because of career and economic uh, reasons. Mm -hmm. Because for a lot of people I know, they knew what we were doing. They thought, wow, that would be so great. So it wasn't something that people think is a bad thing at all, yeah. but something that they couldn't do, that they keep. But I have to say, around us, we've had a very big community. Oh, we're very wow. lucky. Maybe it's for the kind of people, uh, the area where we went to live, yeah. a lot of people was was starting to do it you know so we have quite a few families on the same route that's amazing are there many forest schools or forest nurseries or kindergartens in spain well it is a quite recent thing uh, i have to say which is funny to say because we've got fantastic weather yeah. you know Scandinavian countries england germany they hide for years and they have really the weather is loads in a way, not a lot more rainy, colder, mm. and here it's a lot more milder, the difference between summers and winters. But it is quite a recent thing, really. But for the last 10 years, has it started to pick up? And I have to say, for the last three years, it has started to be something that people is like, wow, yes, why not? It's the most. Yeah, yeah we've been doing it for nine years now. Wow. So tell us a little bit about the program that you've created. So tell us about what, what's the name of your forest school? Okay. Um, like the name of the whole school, it's called, uh, it's not very original. I'll say it in my language, yeah. Catalan, but then I will say, I will translate it into English. Um, it's called the um, Escola de Bosque del Monseny, which means Forest School of El Monseny. El Monseny is a mountain range, is the right. name mountain okay. range. But then each group has a more original group a name, like the little ones are called the clearing. Ah, oh, okay. Cute. Because we, yes, because we think the first place where people start meeting, like humans in a forest, is little small clearings. Yeah. And little ones, zero, three, that's as far as they would go. No, they move. They will move around the clearing. You know, yeah. they won't go much further. Then the next one is the valley. That's where the children would move along. Then after that, we call the paths, camins, that because they started taking more. And then the next ones are called carenas, which is I don't know the name in English. You can help me. When you see a mountain range and you see the tops, all the tops uh, like a line. Yeah, I don't know the, that we've got a word for that. The we might. That sounds the a bit... the... yeah. Anyway, that's the names that of, of our groups. I think that's a really fantastic way of describing how they evolve through being outside. So for those of us that either have never been to Spain or it's been a long time, can you or, or for your specific area, do you want to describe the sort of environment, what nature looks like for you in Catalina, is it? Is that that's where you live? Catalonia, yes, that's um northeast. Uh, of Spain would be we are in the border with France okay the area where I live uh, that we move around because as well I have to say we don't have a specific place for our forest school okay 
So parents every week receive a message of where are we going to be? We move around. We are nomads. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. We chosen this route being nomads as a school, as a forestry school, because depending on the time of the year, there are areas that would have a particular interest. Like, for example, in the chestnut time, we go to the chestnut forest because then we can collect uh, chestnuts. Yeah. And might go at other times so that they can see the process of the chestnut tree. But we won't go to that place so regularly at other times of the year. But we would go more maybe to the river places because it's hotter times. So mm-hmm. water important factor. Yeah. Other times of the year, we would be more going to the areas where you can find medicinal plants like thyme or lavender or, th- or rosemary because uh, it's when they are blossoming for example and it's a good time to go and see so we move according to the to the seasons do you want to explain why that's such an important thing for children to experience moving and and seeing nature throughout the changes of the year well one of the things that we realize by there is a few reasons one they can deeply connect with the changes with the seasons with the rhythms Mm. Things start and, and, and they develop and they die and they come back again next year. And seeing these changes outside, it helps in a way as well to realize that these changes happen in you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and to accept your moments as well. That's one of the big reasons we, we do, so that they can really see the seasons. The other one is because our area has different places and we like them to be able to know all these different places. Mm. And it's very nice with the older ones when they all of a sudden go, oh, Vicky, you know, soon it's going to be time for the cherries. We should be going to. And that's so lovely. It is. I think that's a really amazing connection to make. And I think Nikki and I were talking about this yesterday, about, you know, that really inherent ancestral knowledge about the fact that we are part of nature not disconnected we're not separate from that we are that that human beings are part of nature and I I think that connection about the changes happening in nature and changes happening within ourselves is a really beautiful one to make so I think that that's a really amazing reason for moving around because I think for me I absolutely love exploring different locations I've always really enjoyed that um, but a lot of our programs do occur in the same spot so that we can see those seasonal changes. How often does your group meet? Uh, at the present times, we have different groups and they meet between one or two days a week. Okay, yeah. Because our forestry school used to be five days a week. Yep. So it was the choice the parents had taken. It was the pedagogical choice. And they used to come Monday to Thursday. But... Um, it was like a private school, so all the logistics, all the economical side, economics, everything has to be sustained by us. And after six years of doing that, six, no, nearly seven years of doing that, we thought we can't take it anymore. It's yeah. too, too much. We want to enjoy more being out with children, preparing the sessions than looking after economic things and, and logistics and so we kind of closed the school and reopened it <laughs> a few months later with this different format. So they come once, twice a week at the moment. Yeah, yeah, that's a little bit like um, our sessions as well. Um, do mm. you have a lot of 
hurdles in terms of like you're using different areas and, and meeting in different places. Is that something easy enough for you to, to do? Like are you able to go and just set up businesses in, in the national park or in these wild spaces? Do you have to have permits or licenses to do that? Well, it is a natural park, so there has stricter rules than other pet and than other areas. Yeah. But um we just we just abide by all the rules because we know these rules are to look after this beautiful place we are mm. at. One another reason that we had decided to be nomads is because when you do this the sessions always in the same spot, our impact it is quite big. Yeah. Because there's children playing. So we we are realized that when we stayed in a place, very often that place started to see the traces we're living. And by being nomads, the impact goes really low. It's yeah. really low. So that's another reason why we decided this, to take groups of children and keep changing. And then, for example, to do a fire. Uh, here is completely forbidden to do fires. Yeah. So if we want to do a fire, we have to go to a private land and then they ask for permission. So that's what we do in winter because we only can do fire from the 15th of October to the 15th of March. Right. And then in that period, we have two or three locations of private land, but is in the forest, uh, well, in the forest, near, always near a source of water, near, it has to be accessible by the um, fire brigade if need to be, or by the ambulance. So we, we do comply all these elements always. Yeah, it's important to... Um, make sure that we're abiding by all of those rules when we're taking children out in nature because as soon as we break them, we, it can have really long-reaching consequences for all other groups. Um, we're the same. We find it um, difficult to find land that's owned. Uh, national parks we um, don't operate in at the moment, but on our council lands we, we don't do fire there. Our permits usually don't allow them except for in really specific circumstances but so private land is where we are able to do a lot of our activities particularly even using things like tools is that something that you use in your programs do you use tools yes yes we do use tools and we use tools so we go to the private lands when we need to do the fire and we make sure that you know there is a road near and water and everything that needs to be but we use tools in other places but like when we decide where we're going to we make sure, uh, and we use tools, we make sure there is a very easy, accessible yeah. uh, place if something happened for us to take the child away or if somebody has to come and, and get the child. So when we're using tools, we make sure it's a very accessible place. If we're doing route, like we're walking, because we do routes, we don't always come, mm. our steps are not always static. Sometimes it's a route, so yeah. we walk through the day. On those days, most of the time we don't take tools mm. because sometimes we get to places where not very accessible. Yeah. So we make this choice. Other things can happen, but at least we minimize by taking the tools away. <laughs> right. That's it. So it's all about risk assessment and deciding exactly. what is the, the best course of action and, um, you know, always having those plans in mind about what happens in the event of emergencies. That's really cool. Um. Do you find that your programs are really popular and families are interested in alternative outdoor programs and nature play? Very, very. In fact, we have a list of people <laughs> hoping <laughs> to get into our program and they can't. And we keep saying, okay, should we open another group of this same age? And 
it is always a balance. Yeah. How much can I give so that I don't burn out? How yeah. much I don't, but I feel, oh, these, these children are not enjoying it. So, yeah, yeah, yeah they're very popular. Definitely. Yeah. And so how do you manage, um, do your children come with you to your programs when you're running them? Well, my children always came with me until then we have different ages, as I said. We yeah. start from babies. So I take mums and babies out as well. Yeah. So they, of course, they came with me when they were a baby. And it was fun because then we have a program, which is a, from the age of three, in which parents start coming, but they can start uh, leaving the group and not staying so long. Yeah. And I remember the day my, my daughter came to me and said, oh, mom, when is going to be the day you're not coming? <laughs> Before a school leader, love. (laughs) (laughs) And at that moment, I thought, right, she wants to experience more autonomous um, outings. So that's when she started going in a group in which I wasn't there. She felt big and, you know, she had grown up and all these things. But then uh, she she grew. And then at the age, we have a group, eight till 12. And she's in that group now, and that's my group. So she knows if she wants to be in the group, I will be in there. So if she doesn't yeah. want to be with me, then she can decide not to join the group, but it's my group. Yeah. And I think they um, it ebbs and flows. Sometimes they do want to be with you, and sometimes they want they to be independent. So, now yeah. she wants to be with me again. Yeah. That's amazing. So, yeah. There was a, a couple of years she really wanted to experience being out there without me. Yeah. And now she's happy again. On the opposite, my my boy, he's always been happy to be with me. He's never said, well, you're not going to come. Yeah. <laughs> From personalities, really. So. Yeah. And how do you find homeschooling? You you guys are unschoolers as well? Yes. Yep. Yeah. And so um, do you want to give us a little bit of a, an idea on what life looks like for you? I think a lot of people are interested, particularly for mothers who sort of work and homeschool, like what that looks like. So like a a, a week in the life of your family, what that might look like. Right. It is an art and it never finishes learning how you're mm. going to deal with this life because it, children change, activities change. So it is being, being happy with um, what's happening now, what's the moment now, what mm. now needs. And when I mean now, I don't mean today, which as well ne- needs that presence, but this period, no, this next two months, next three months. We've gone through loads of different models so yeah. we've tried so one of the things i would say to families that want to go down route don't think you're going to find a recipe mm. um, you have to keep trying what is best for you because with the families that they're doing it for example my partner is english and i lived in england for a long time so for us uh, waking up early was like yes you wake up early and you do things early and yeah but there is another family <laughs> that we're very close friends with and the the partner is from Argentina. The tempos are completely different. <laughs> they up, you know, ten o'clock. They start things at half ten. Lunch, the um, breakfast, sorry. Then things start at eleven. Yeah. By that time, we're thinking of dinner, <laughs> of lunch. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah. So it, really, you have to fit in this life to your family rhythm. If you keep trying to think it has to be like the others do, how others are homeschooling. You might get mad because yeah. um, you really have to fit it into your own rhythms or your own ways. So that's what we found out, me and my partner, not to try to do things that weren't working for others. We yeah. would look at them, we would ponder about them, 
but then decide if they do fit in or not. That's really good advice. I think yeah, that we might for, try it for a while. Yeah. And something works for a while and then all of a sudden things need to change for whatever reason. So for me personally, last term with my girls, they were involved in a lot of different activities and I felt like I didn't actually have a lot of time to work and, and the balance was more tipped towards their needs and being out and about for them. Whereas this next term, I think we're going to slow things down a little bit and I will have a lot more opportunity to dive into work. So, and that works really well for me to be able to have those pause periods and work and then work a little bit harder and, and the girls can slow down a little bit with being away from the house and engaging in all of the different activities. And, there, and there's so many <laughs> that we can pick up, but yeah, everyone needs those to pick up those things and do those things that work for their family. I think that's really great advice. I think that's what you're saying is very important because I think sometimes you get into a life, no? They, they go to school every day at the same time, you work and we're very disconnected from rhythms and natural mm. rhythms and we are rhythms. And what you're saying is we pick up a rhythm and then we realize, oof, this rhythm is being a bit too much. Mm. Should we slow down next time? Should we do this? And I think that's, that goes so in tune with nature that when is a moment to speed up? When is a moment to slow down? When do I need to let go? When do I need to start growing new things? I think that's it. If we start like homeschooling, if you get it in this way, instead of panicking on all the things you have to do, but what's the rhythm this family needs at this moment? It goes so well with your inner self and then it all fits together. Like at this moment, we are, the model we are having for, for this uh, semester is because we join with other families. This unschooling people thinks you are alone. And I yes. keep thinking, no, you're not alone. <laughs> you no. join with other families and you help each other. And, you know, so we have a group of about seven families with children between seven and 11. And we do lots of things together. And one day I keep the whole group and I do an activity with them. And another day, another person will do something with them. Yeah. So what we're doing at the moment is we join three times a week in the mornings from half past nine to half past two. We join at this spot. And in these three times, different families do different things. Yeah. And then my children do some activities, some like um, after school clubs. Yeah. In which they can interact with loads of other children. They like my girl likes music, the boy likes running in the mountains and, and as well he's doing drums at the moment. So they do some other extra activities and I think that's enough yeah. because sometimes children are so busy. I have a group of, of, of children the age of four till six and they come one morning with me but they are doing activities from Monday to Friday every day from nine o'clock to six o'clock and I'm like, yeah. When do these children do their own thing? Yes. When do they rest? When do they get bored? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when do they get bored? So with uh, and schooling, I think is very, very good because they have a lot of time to do this. What am I going to do today? And I love that. I love that. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's interesting to watch what, you know, th that question, what am I going to do today? And they find really amazing things. I'll wake up sometimes, they'll they'll already be awake and I'll go out into the lounge room and they're constructed 
you know, a castle out of a cardboard box or at the moment they're creating crates for our dogs out of all sorts of bits and pieces. And so every day I'll come out to a different creation. They just find things to do. Yes. And it ticks all those boxes that people think they need to tick through like a really structured curriculum and way of doing things that you would probably typically see in an educational setting. They're ticking all those boxes just on their own because they've decided to do something and be creative and problem solve and and do all those fantastic yeah. things. Mm. Yeah. I think I have to say I'm doing a lot of um, training as well for teachers. So more and more, mm. at least in our area, teachers are thinking, right, children need something a bit different than we have in the system is structured. And they getting a lot of training on this other different view. So I have to say teachers around where we live, they're very open. They're opening their mind and going, yes, this, this, these new generations are in a different place. Yeah, that's fantastic. And did you do your training, your training in the UK? I trained in my forest school training. Yeah, it yeah. was in the UK, not, not yeah. other trainings like in um, child-led education. I didn't yeah. do it in the UK. Some of it I did, but not all of it. And when you did your forest school leader, did you find that the training was contextualised for Spain or... Um, and when you're delivering training now, do you find that you've had to change the way you deliver that to appeal more to the way that things work in Spain? Yes, we had had to adopt some things. Yes, like the tool use, mm. we had to mm, kind of, mm, yeah, it was like drop by drop, slowly, slowly, you know, because, mm. yeah, in Spain there are certain things that, I found a bit um, a bit too much. So we had to, and as well, as you asked me right at the beginning, what's nature around you? We have a lot of oaks here, for example, and it's a more dry land. So in the context that they were talking about a lot of things that had to do with a kind of uh, nature that is loads more humid, loads more damp. And in here, this, at least in the region where I live, it's loads more dry. You, fa- you find rosemary, thyme, loads of oaks, so, you know, like chestnuts is, is a different place. So you have to, yes, a lot of, not a lot of things, but quite a big chunk of our training had to be adapted, not only to the views of the people, which that was one part, but mm. as well to nature and how we can interact here with nature. Do you, um, you mentioned earlier that you look at a lot of medicinal plants. Is that something that's really important to your programs is um, teaching children about the different properties and uses of plants? Yes. For, for us, it is, it is an important part, I suppose, because I know a little bit. And then I suppose when you are a forestry school leader, um, you're not only a forestry school leader, you're a person and you have a, a big, a lot of things with you within mm. your interests and of course inevitably this interest would kind of trickle down to the children yeah. you go so yeah we do many medicinal plants as well because they're easy to find here yeah it sounds it's like it. yeah it is easy to find and it's something that that every families used everybody used them it's not like a strange thing it's like most families will have time at home and when you have a Tommy, I give you chamomile. And when you can't sleep, they'll give you, you know, lavender. You know, it's like something, you put it in the food, in our recipes, like grandmas use it always. So, yeah, that's why I suppose it's important because it's very much used. That's excellent. And do you have any, like, um, ancestral or, like, Indigenous knowledge that you can incorporate into your teachings as well? 
from a European perspective? From the European perspective, we have a little bit, but it got uh, a lot of uh, pagan yeah. um, ancestral uh, things got um, erased or got uh, quietened down with yeah. the Inquisition, with the religion. It yeah. got quietened down a lot and a lot. But a lot of people on recent years have been trying to gather it back because, you know, it's not so far away. So we're trying to gather it back. But it is true that I don't know why, for some reason, we are very close to some more indigenous thing from uh, that has arrived from Central America, South America, oh, okay. but even from North America, Indian Americans. It's something that we're very attracted here in Spain. So it has kind of started mixing with these other things from, from our own country that have been quietened down. So we do use some things, yes. Yeah, that's interesting because um, in Australia, because we are the people that do a lot of the training of forest school leaders specifically come from the UK and um, there's a lot of conversation amongst forest school leaders about how the programs need to be delivered in a way that is more contextualised and connected to our land and our First Nations people and the culture that and, you know, all of that really important things and because we're on the ground we really can embed those values of our Indigenous people, um, exactly. which is really amazing thing to do as well. I was going to ask you, um, because we, for example, in our seasons, we use a lot songs and stories mm. and it's a way in which um, we kind of reflect things and as well pass on values. And, and do, do, you, do, do you do that in your forestry school? Do you use songs and dances and stories? Is it something you... Yeah, you I think... Um, I actually think it depends on the person who is taking the sessions. So it's something that I really used to enjoy doing, particularly with the younger children. I haven't been working on the ground for the past maybe five months and we do try and incorporate some songs, but I think the children are so busy. Sometimes we find it that they are not um, a lot of the time interested in coming in with songs and stories. And I think a lot of the, it's actually a bit of a barrier for a lot of forest leaders. So some businesses that I see are really, they really embrace the songs and they use the seasonality and things like that. But I actually think there's a barrier for a lot of people in being musical and, you know, using their bodies through dance and stuff like that. It's actually something that a lot of people find quite challenging to put mm-hmm. themselves out there like that. And I think that there is a little bit of work to be done and, yeah, it's something that I think is is a beautiful way of um, bringing our groups together. It's just for us at the moment it's not a huge uh, focus in our programs, in our playgroups it, it can be, but I think some of our playgroup leaders actually find it difficult if they're not really passionate about it and they really don't have connection to a lot of the songs. So I think we're reclaiming some of these songs as well and, and finding really good ones that do connect us to the season. So I think there's a little bit of a process there. Do you use a lot of songs and stories and things like that in your programs? Yeah, yes. It is an important it is an important part of our program. Yeah. Not mm. it doesn't take a lot of space in the session. Yeah. Because children are very interested in doing all sorts of things. But sessions are five hour long. Mm. Um, so, well, for the little ones, not. It's only three hours. But um, we it is our, like, good morning circle. We, yeah. we always do 
circle to 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 just look at who is come today and look at ourselves, you know, one by one. And we use songs there, yes. But we have to say children loved it. Yeah. Children loved them at all ages. Even, of course, we change songs according to the age because they have to really appeal to them. But definitely, yes, we use them and, and children are very, very excited about them. And stories as well. We use stories a lot, usually more in the closing uh, yeah. circle. Yeah. Or sometimes after lunch. It is because in Spain, I suppose, what you were saying, contextualizing the training, yeah. the forced training and programs to the place. Here in Spain, when, like on Sundays, if you meet up with the family to have lunch, it carries on, you know, after lunch. They call it the, the I don't know how to translate it, la sobrataula. It is like being at the table after you've eaten. And oh. it can last for two, three, four hours. The family just keep chatting and yeah. somebody says, Ooh, should we bring a little, uh, I don't know, some some herbal tea? And it carries on. So children are used to that. So sometimes when we finish lunch, some of them would go straight to play, but some stay there. So we yeah. start chatting and sometimes say, oh, will you tell us a story? Yes. That's beautiful. Yeah. I I mean, one of my, one of my favorite things, especially when I was running playgroups, was our song and song circle. So we have some beautiful seasonal songs that we are now putting into um, song sheets that people can purchase from us in our shop. Mm. But we also, um, I used to love doing storytelling, but more with um, like physical props and things like that as well. I really enjoyed like even um, a mixture of traditional stories, uh, Indigenous stories mm. and, and other like Steiner-based stories mm-hmm. as well. And um, I think there is a real art to storytelling and I used to absolutely love it and it was one of the fa- my favourite parts of the session. So I think it's very, very powerful. Uh, I think there's a, there is an art to it, so um, definitely more training for a lot of people to feel comfortable to do that um, yeah. in some of our programs as well. In our program, I think it's become a little bit like a ritual mm. to have these circles um, because, um, yeah, I'm very... I am particularly inside in, inside the group um, developing a training on the connection of nature and the development of spirituality in children. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is important, these circle spaces. It's only a glimpse of, of what a ritual is and, and what yeah. it is to be together and, you know, to share something together, to say. Yeah, it's hard to see that, like, without actually sitting and watching a session because it's so embedded, I guess, over a yes. period of time that it is hard to help people to envision what that looks like. Mm, yes. I have to say when we do training for teachers, for the school training, we have a program for schools. We only do it when a whole school, the whole group of teachers is doing the training. Mm. We do the training and then we do what we call the, the assessment time, Yeah, which means that we train them. But after we go to the school and we do sessions with the children, yeah. So that they can eat. Because one thing is the whole practice and theory among adults, and the other is to implement it in yeah. the group and on it. So we go for a period of time to the school and we do, we lead the sessions. And slowly, slowly, we start giving them parts of the session. Okay, they've seen us four or five times doing a session. We say, okay, next session, you're going to be this part. Is that okay for you? Mm. And then after a while, they feel very powdered they feel um they have the confidence 
because yes. they, they not only done the theory, they've seen us doing it, they practice it with us, and slowly, slowly, they've been getting the whole bulk of the session. By the, se- the time we leave, they feel very confident with the sessions. Yeah. Because it is, I think, very powerful to watch it in action and to watch people who do confidently run the sessions. Yes. Um, there's, there's something very, very powerful about observing that happening and and I think it calms so many fears and worries <laughs> about how to do it when you watch someone who's been doing it for a very long time manage children outside. Yeah, how to go off boundaries, for example. Mm. They found it out. The whole children in the forest, they, will they run away? Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Will they run away? Yeah. <laughs> will they run away very far? No. <laughs> so it's so good when they see us there, they go, okay, children, don't run away. You can put, you know, you can offer boundaries this way and this other way. And yeah, it does help them a lot. And I guess too, you would be similar to us in, in that there's not just training in how to run a session, which is very important, how to manage children outside, but also how we communicate with children in a mm. way that is um, because I've, I have observed many educators talking to children and um, it can be quite confronting uh, and upsetting the way that they communicate with and treat children. So I think it's a really great opportunity to show how we can clearly give children boundaries with love and um, with respect. Yes, it is as well one of our specialities in our training. One thing that we we did in our training in England, but we have enlarged it, which is the emotional um, accompanying or the emotioning intelligence. Yeah. How to like nonviolent communication? Mm. Well, all this kind of look, and we do in our training a big chunk of that because for, for us there is no. There will be a bit, um, how would I say that in English? There will have not much sense for us to be in the forest, but carry on a kind of relationship with children, not only with children, with people, which is very harsh, very authoritarian. Yes. Like, doesn't go with, with, with our philosophy. Our philosophy is not only nature. It is the way nature has, and nature is respectful to each other, you yeah. know, and we like to, to put that in our way of, dealing with our relationships with children and adults, all sorts of people in the forest. They're they're very lucky, both the educators, but most importantly, the children over in Spain to have you, your programs, but also the training that you provide so that more children can experience being in nature and connecting themselves as being part of that as well. So thank you for all of the work that you're doing and for sharing with us your experience in Spain because I think it's important for people to see that it is slightly different all around the world, the way that we do things and we can learn so much from each other. I've learned so much from you today about the way that you do things and for reminding me of what's um, the really unique and beautiful parts of what we do. Thank you so much, Vicky. You're welcome. I actually have a couple of quick questions that we like to ask at the end of our sessions. Are you happy to answer those really quickly? Yes. All right. So the first question we like to ask is, do you, I mean, this might be a little bit difficult, but um, a book that you would recommend, perhaps an English one that we, <laughs> that our listeners might be able to get a hold of, a book that you would recommend your, either your all-time favourite or one that recently you found really inspirational? Well, I have a few, but there is one I'm reading at the moment, which is called uh, Braiding Sweetgrass ah. from uh, Robin Wall Kimmerer. 
Okay. Raving Sweetgrass, and it is a beautiful book. And there is another one from Anne Davies. I can't remember the name of, but it is a beautiful book. I'm just trying to grab it right now so I can. <laughs> both of them are very beautiful. Braiding Sweetgrass from Robin Balkimera. Uh, Anne Davy, Annie Davy, A Sense of Place. Ah, that sounds like a really interesting one, actually. There's loads and loads of them, but. Um, yeah, there always is. I will say these two now. And Braiding Sweetgrass. It's a beautiful one. It's from a from a Native American lady. Oh. Yeah, well, she's half Native American, and and she is in the book. She's putting together science. She became a botanist, but she was raised from this other way of looking at the at nature. And mm. it's so beautiful how she's putting both things together. She's very poetic on her writing. Oh, excellent. I'm going to actually, ch- I'm, I'm up for a new read, so I'm going to chase those both of those up. Um, we also love to know where do you go if you have been having a rough week or a rough day to reset and recharge? Uh, I, I always go to the to the forest, definitely, or, to, or even sometimes to the beach. It's not far away from where we live. At the moment, I, I keep changing my seat spot, but at the moment in my seat spot, it's, um, it's by a pine tree, oh. by a pine tree at the moment which is quite big and yeah, and it is on top of some rocks. So from there, I have the view of the valley. Oh, and usually beautiful. I go there and my dog comes with me and the cat follows me. And um, <laughs> I love that when, uh, when the three of us go there and just sit there. Oh, that's so special. Uh, and finally, if you could change one thing about the education system, what would that be? That everything happens outdoors. <laughs> yes. No rooms for children. Yeah. Outdoor. Outdoor. And there will be other things, but that will be the first one, all outdoor. Oh, that's so beautiful. Thank you so much, Vicky. It's been an absolute pleasure to get to know you today and hear your story. So thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you so much. There's something really comforting about hearing other people around the world who are living a lifestyle that is very similar to the one that we have chosen here, but also to hear that other children around the world are experiencing the benefits of forest schooling or any outdoor programs and what Vicky and her team are doing there in Spain just sounds phenomenal. Honestly, can't wait till the builders open back up and we can start to visit some of these absolutely phenomenal places. Now, Vicky and I were talking a little bit about songs and singing uh, as part of our programs and uh, particularly during our playgroups, we absolutely love to get together for our song circle time and the songs that we have curated for these sessions have been something that we've been working on for years specifically, uh, just trying to find those perfect songs, particularly in an Australian context, that fit with our seasons and that help children to tie in what we're seeing and experiencing in the natural world through songs and poems. So if you're interested in downloading 
some of our seasonal song sheets. We've just added our autumn song sheet to the website for purchase. So if you head to wildlingsforestschool.com and then head to our shop, you'll be able to find uh, some of our downloadable products that we have in there. And uh, those, those song sheets really are a, a beautiful resource to have with you. We often uh, print them out and laminate them because children love having something tangible. And if you've got parents attending your sessions or if you're a parent yourself and you just want to have those reminders for you when you're with a group, taking those with you and having them. And they're beautifully illustrated by our in-house illustrator, Kerry. And uh, yeah, it's, it's been actually a dream come true to see these song sheets evolve into um, this resource that we have for you now. So definitely head to the website, check them out. And we've also got a bunch of um, free downloadables on our website, wildlingsforestschool.com forward slash free dash downloadables for other resources that you might find helpful if you are running a nature play group, uh, forest school, forest kindy, or if you're just getting together with some other like-minded families and wanting to have that experience with your children. As always, we absolutely love doing this journey with you. So until next time, stay wild. Stay wild.